Welcome back to Silent Exposure. I am your host, Mitchell Crossan, and welcome to our first ever off-season exposure pod. So if you're new to the show, we'll take a deep dive into one Power 5 football program per week, exposing the details of that specific program. And so this week, and for our first exposure pod, we'll be diving into the University of Oregon Ducks. And so let's go ahead and jump into just a general overview and take a look back at this past season. The Oregon Ducks finished as the 2021 Pac-12 North Divisional Champ with a 10-4 overall record, 7-2 record in conference regular season play with that third loss coming into Pac-12 Conference Championship to Utah. Obviously, this season was highlighted by the 7-point win over Ohio State in September in Columbus, Ohio. So let's take a look into their losses of this season and just see what went wrong and what derailed the Ducks. So they first had their loss to Stanford in overtime, then found back-to-back losses to Utah to finish out the regular season, as well as the Pac-12 championship game. They then finished it off with a loss to Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl, losing by 15 points. We know that this Oregon team definitely had some hype coming into the year, and there was a lot of buzz around that matchup on the road against Ohio State. We know what the Ducks did going in and pulling out a huge victory for their program. And we're not going to spend too much time covering that because we've all been talking about that game for such a long time and how it's not only impacted Oregon and their season, but how it impacted Ohio State as well. So we won't spend too much time on it, but this was a program that not only had the hype coming in, but capitalized on that, had a huge win on the road against a premier top 10 program, top five, really, realistically, if we're talking about the Buckeyes. And we then just saw their season just absolutely derail. So let's go ahead and now dive into their quarterback, Anthony Brown, and see what happened to him along the way. Brown was a senior who was really inconsistent at best throughout the year. We would see some really nice throws over the middle of the field, and then he would maybe follow it up with a bad throw, like a pick six on the next play. In the 2021 season, Anthony Brown finished with just under 3,000 passing yards with 2,989, 18 touchdowns, and 7 picks. Let's go ahead and stick with Anthony Brown, but let's back it up a little bit. So Anthony Brown was the 19th ranked player coming out of the state of New Jersey in the class of 2016. He was the 23rd ranked dual threat quarterback in that class ranked 798th nationally, and was a three-star prospect. So really kind of average numbers, nothing that really jumped out at you as being a a high, you know, four or five-star prospect. He initially committed and attended Boston College in the May of 2015. But before playing ball for the Eagles, the other schools that offered and showed interest were Northwestern, Duke, Penn State, UConn, and Virginia Tech. While at Boston College, Brown did battle some injuries. So in the 2017 season, Brown suffered a leg injury as a redshirt freshman and was deemed out for the season. In the 2018 season, Brown suffered an abdominal injury, which was really more day-to-day. But nonetheless, what we've seen from Anthony Brown throughout his collegiate career is that he's been a little banged up at times. In April of 2020, Brown announced his transfer to the University of Oregon as a graduate transfer. He did not start right away, 
while he was rehabilitating from a, nor- a torn left anterior ligament. But we all know that that 2020 season was definitely kind of, you know, crazy anyways with the pandemic really throwing a wrench into things. And if you think back, you know, the Pac-12 was actually one of the conferences that had initially canceled their season, joining the likes of, you know, the Big Ten Conference as well. So if there was going to be a season where you could transfer and kind of sit out and not miss a whole lot, 2020 was the year to do that. Now, while Oregon did eventually play a couple games that year, it's not a season that you really, that you really take the heart. And of course, that hurts for seniors and whoever else. But we know that the NCAA did say, okay, hey, we know how crazy it was. We'll give you another year of eligibility if you want it. But nonetheless, if you're a transfer, you're hurt. The 2020 season was not a bad one to sit out on. To provide a little more context about Anthony Brown and his numbers this season, and per ESPN, Brown ranked 35th in the nation in passing yards, 57th in touchdowns, and 47th in interceptions. And if you remember from earlier, he was just under 3,000 yards passing, 18 touchdowns, and 7 picks. So, very middle-of-the-pack numbers, very average And this is a guy that when you look back at his recruiting and his rankings there, he was a pretty average quarterback. And you're not always going to find that five-star stud. But what you get from Anthony Brown at times is very consistent play. And really, for the most part, enough to make you a good program and pick up some big wins. So as we talk about and switch over to the Oregon offense as a whole, as a team, Oregon averaged 31 points per game. And 423 yards of offense per game, which was about 202 rushing yards per game and 221 passing yards per game. So if you're looking at this from a balanced perspective, this team accomplished being very balanced on offense. And when you hear coaches preach balance on offense, and you would hear Urban Meyer really hone in on this, you hear a lot of 250 and 250. So you want 250 yards rushing and 250 yards throwing. Oregon was pretty close to that. You know, the offense, if you're scoring 31 points a game, that's usually enough to have a good season. We'll dive, we'll dive into their defense a little bit next, but for the most part, not a bad year from the offensive perspective. So let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball. This defense was led by second-year linebacker Noah Sewell, who led, who led the team in tackles, had eight and a half tackles for loss and four sacks. He definitely seemed like the best player on the field for the Ducks this season, especially in that Ohio State game, where he might have been the best player on the field in general. And, you know, C.J. Stroud, we know what he was late in the year, but he was not that guy early on for the Buckeyes. And Ohio State did not have any guys defensively that they could really boast about this year. Noah Sewell made some really big plays in that game, had some big stops on fourth down, had some tackles for loss, and you saw him continue to progress and become that that rock for the Oregon Ducks on defense this year. So let's go ahead, back it up a little bit on Sewell, and just see where he was at coming out of high school. So Sewell was a highly touted recruit and was a five-star prospect out of Utah. He was the number one player coming out of that state in the 2020 class, the number two inside linebacker in the country, and 13th nationally. So, obviously, this was a huge home run for the Ducks. Sewell is also ranked 266th all-time in terms of recruiting rankings per 24-7 sports. So, Oregon definitely got 
a guy that they could really hone in on and become the rock for them defensively. Other schools that showed interest and that extended offers were Tennessee, Florida State, Nebraska, University of Washington, Oregon State, Alabama, Texas A&M, Auburn, Ohio State, and Georgia. No surprise here. As a five-star prospect, you get a lot of attention. The Ducks defensively did have a little bit of trouble this year. They allowed 25 points per game, which was 6th in the Pac-12 and 60th nationally. So they definitely have a little bit of work to do. And I do think that the Ducks will get better defensively and we'll get into that reasoning in a little bit here. But when you have an offense that is averaging about 31 points per game, 400-plus yards of offense, those aren't fantastic numbers. And when your defense is allowing 25 points per game, you're going to see your team in a lot of close games and a lot of dogfights. And that's what we did see with this Oregon team. A really good start. And then you saw them start to struggle. And, you know, they had the occasional good game where they actually played up to their potential, where the offense was flowing and the defense was shutting guys down. But allowing 25 points per game defensively while your offense is throwing interceptions, pick sixes, and only scoring 31 points per game themselves is really going to put you in a tight spot and you're not going to have a huge margin for error. But nonetheless, Noah Sewell has played great for them this year. He's already a stud, and I have no doubt that he will be a first-round draft pick when he undoubtedly leaves Oregon early for the NFL draft. And this Oregon defense has quite a bit of talent, a lot more talent than people have been giving them credit for. I mean, we haven't even talked about Kayvon Thibodeau. Now, you know, we know that he's that five-star stud, D-end out of California. He's battled some injuries. He's been banged up along the way. We know that he didn't play in the Ohio State game early in September, and Oregon still won that game. But Oregon, what we're starting to see now is they are starting to get these five-star guys defensively, and that can really help turn this program around again and just put them on that premier front and continue to pick players out of the West Coast and California, taking players out of you know USC's back pocket. Okay, so moving on to the future of the program, let's talk about the latest recruiting buzz surrounding the Oregon Ducks. So for the 2022 class, they currently have the 64th ranked class, which puts them ninth in the Pac-12, so not a great spot for them, especially for a program that just had the 6th ranked class nationally one year ago. This is quite the drop-off. This class is highlighted by four-star corner Jalil Tucker out of San Diego and four-star linebacker Davon Jackson out of Omaha, Nebraska. When we're looking ahead, also towards the future of the program itself, we know that Mario Cristobal has left the program as a head coach and is joining the University of Miami. And so Oregon has gone out and gotten the previous Georgia defensive coordinator, Dan Lanning, who is the new head coach for the Ducks. And he has been putting together his staff thus far. Lanning has been a top coordinator and is leaving the Bulldogs after joining Kirby Smart's staff for Georgia in 2018 as the outside linebackers coach. Safe to say that this was a great hire for the Ducks, as Lanning was eventually promoted to defensive coordinator for the Bulldogs after the 2018 season, when Mel Tucker, current Michigan State head coach, had left for the Colorado job. Lanning signed a six-year, $29.1 million contract with the Ducks and hopes to bring them back to being top dog in the Pac-12. I think this is a great hire. 
for the University of Oregon. When you think of Oregon, especially over this past decade, the first thoughts that come to my mind is, okay, they're a finesse team, they're an offensive team, they're quick, but they're not physical. So I think of, okay, no huddle, offense, you know, Marcus Mariota, Chip Kelly, we're going to go really, really fast, we're going to have speed on the perimeter, but can we beat you when it comes time to do so in the trenches? I don't know if the Ducks can do that. You know, we saw them advance to the national championship game in 2014 in that season, but they ran into Ohio State, Big Ten school, who punched them in the trenches and controlled the line of scrimmage, and there was nothing the Ducks could do to go in and win that game. Also defensively, the Ducks have never really had that true identity, even though they've been drafting these five-star guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, Noah Sewell, etc. The fact that you have now a defensive-minded head coach, especially with Dan Lanning, who's just coming off a national championship being the defensive coordinator for Georgia, he could really come in and adjust the buzz and the mindset around this Oregon Ducks program. Oregon has been picking players out of California, Southern California, up and all down the West Coast whenever they want it. Now, we have real competition with Lincoln Riley now at USC, and so we could really get some nice Pac-12 North versus South rivalry with Oregon and USC if we can get to that prominence. It really felt like Stanford and Oregon had that going on a little bit when when Oregon's really good, ranked in the top five, top ten with Chip Kelly. Stanford was a good program as well. Was never really quite held to the standard that Oregon was at, but they had enough to do damage and pull out victories, and we saw that. So I'm really excited to see what kind of traction we can get, assuming Dan Lanning is able to turn around this program for the Ducks, become a little bit more of a defensive-minded program, and build this rivalry with Lincoln Riley in USC, who is a offensive-minded coach. We could really get the Pac-12 bumping again, and I think that'd be great for college football. So let's go ahead and look forward to the 2022 schedule and see who Oregon's going to face. So right off the bat in week one, Dan Lanning will get a chance to go up against his former team as he was the defensive coordinator with Oregon traveling to Georgia to take on the defending national champs with the Bulldogs. Not an easy task, but again, excited to see the start of this Oregon team and see if this is actually a turning point for a program that historically has had an offensive mindset and has been known for being finesse and not really physical. What a great way to start against a physical Southern team with Georgia, who's also the defending national champ. Then things start to slow down a little bit. So in week two, they have a home game against Eastern Washington University. And then going into week three, they have a home game against BYU. And then we start moving into Pac-12 play. So week four at Washington State. Week five at home versus Stanford. Week six at Arizona. And then Oregon has their bye in that following week. Week eight versus UCLA. Week nine at Cal Week 10 at Colorado. Week 11 at home against the University of Washington. Week 12 at home versus Utah. And then week 13 at home in the rivalry game against Oregon State. So personally, I actually really like where Oregon currently is as a program. I know that they've been in this weird transitional phase as they've 
They're getting integrated with their new head coach who's going to bring new juice, new energy, and a new mindset to the program. But when you look in the Alamo Bowl against Oklahoma, I mean, both programs were in that weird transitional phase because the Sooners had lost Lincoln Riley to USC. Bob Stoops kind of stepped in to help, you know, hold the ship together in the middle of the storm. While uh, Oklahoma went out, was able to get a new head coach with Brent Venables, Clemson's D.C. coordinator, which we'll, we will jump into Clemson later as an offseason pod themselves. But Oregon really has a chance to start over. When you look at the recruiting defensively over the past couple of years, I've really liked what I've been able to see pulling in consistent five-star recruits. And these are guys that have been developing and making plays for them on the field as well. Noah Sewell we talked about. Kayvon Thibodeau we talked about. And when you're bringing in Dan Lanning, a defensive coordinator who has that defensive mindset, if he can start to capitalize and continue to bring in these five-star players defensively, we could really see a change in the program, a change in the feel of who the Oregon Ducks are. Now, with that being said, Oregon's not going to be able to just run rampant and recruit and take whoever they want off the West Coast. With USC and really the Pac-12 as a whole being down, you've seen players from, we'll just highlight Southern California, either not play for USC or even not even play for Oregon. You can look at Chris Olave, wide receiver, went to Ohio State. Right, Ohio State came in, saw him, wanted him, and got him. He didn't stay home. He didn't go to Oregon, but he left and went to the Midwest. Oregon's been able to retain a lot of these guys from the the Utah, Arizona, West Coast area and bring in a lot of five-star caliber players and good recruiting classes, but they've also been the best program on the West Coast, right? USC's been down for a long time. Utah is a solid program, and we'll also get into them at at another point as their own exposure pod, but Oregon's been the premier program. They have the money. They're a Nike school. Thank you, Uncle Phil. And, you know, they've had recent success. Now that you have USC maybe on the true path back to prominence and walking back into the national picture, they have a big primetime coach with Lincoln Riley. He has his offensive scheme that's going to work. And we've already seen him be able to recruit, bring in high caliber players, get commits, and they're getting guys in the transfer portal as well. So Oregon has their hands full and isn't going to have maybe even the first pick of the litter when it comes to bringing in guys from Southern California. So I I think with Oregon and with USC, we have a lot of potential to see where we're at with each program and we could have some great rivalries moving forward. Okay, so that is going to do it for our first off-season exposure pod. So if you've made it this far, thank you for listening. We will take a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you have it. And you can also find us on social media at Sideline Exposure on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, and at Sideline Expose on Twitter. We release episodes on Sundays, so stay tuned. We will keep continuing to dive into a new Power 5 program each week, which will be released every Sunday, just something to kind of get you through the offseason, but more importantly, we want to be able to dive into these details and the specifics of each program, right? Look into, okay, who were the top guys this year? Let's turn back the clock a little bit. Who were they in high school? 
historically what have we seen and just provide some substance and some further details than what you get just from the national media like a bleach report espn etc so stay tuned every sunday we'll continue jumping across multiple teams over multiple conferences and just be able to highlight you know who these programs are and the specific details of that program so as always stay tuned for more content coming your way every sunday and thank you for listening